0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist
1: Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Second Peter chapter three, thinking about prayer, thinking about our life, because
0: where we're headed a little Well it's very tense And very Sobering In this text um, Thinking about prayer I'm going to lighten us up with this before we go
1: in I was reading I read behind this pastor had, um, They were having a prayer meeting actually And the, uh, this man came up to the pastor And said um, Pastor will you pray for my hearing now I read this and I had, a, I had jokes upon jokes already because the pastor probably said, huh? But no, he said, pastor, will you pray for my hearing? And the pastor said, sure. And the pastor prayed this lengthy, passionate, overly zealous, using flowery words. And he prayed for the man's hearing. And when he got done, he said, all right, so how's your hearing? He said, I'll let you know it's not until tomorrow. Let it register, help your neighbor, and then let's stand as we read God's holy word. Second <clears throat> Peter chapter number three, <clears throat> I apologize, my, my clutch is stripped, so my voice is acting like a 14-year-old, and um, that might mean that we get out early. I dreamed last night, I told my wife this, <laughs> we got out it was 11.30. We weren't out. This is God knows my heart, and I'm not lying. I was standing right here. This is the dreams I have. I'm standing right here, and I've got my Bible, and I know I'm finishing. And I, and I look up, and it's 11.30. I'm like, we're going to wind down 11.30. This is crazy. And I said something in my sermon that's like, okay, and this is it. And people right here started getting up, people right here, and started walking out. I said, we're not, that doesn't mean we're done yet, it's just, I'm close and it's 1130. That's probably not any dream to be interpreted as reality, but I did dream it. And um, that may be because the microphone burns up and blows me up on the side or because my throat stops, but we'll see. Some wise soul out there saying, well, you're wasting all your energy yapping right now and your voice. Okay, so let's go. Verse one, the second epistle or letter, beloved, written to Christians, Peter says, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, church, he's writing to Christians, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust. And they'll be saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, since our forefathers died, everything continues as it was in the beginning of creation. For this they are willingly ignorant of that by the word of the Lord or word of God, the heavens of were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, I want you to hear verse seven, because I'm going to elaborate on verse seven in about an hour. But the heavens and the earth, which are now what we're living in, the current creation, the current sustained creation, by the same word are kept in store. They're reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition or destruction of the ungodly men. Now, if I forget to say this later, and I probably won't because it's probably the most impactful of this text God is still in control he's worthy to be praised and worshiped for any other reason than he's just God he is sovereign he is in control the earth is changing even though the ungodly scoffers are saying everything's the same way it's always been it is changing and it will ultimately cataclysmically change and he's in control of it. And what's happening right now, what we can see and what we can't see are under his control, and the ingredients, if you will, are are stored up and reserved for judgment against the ungodly. So today in this text, what we're gonna look at in preparation for the last days that we've been talking about for a long, lot of last days, is what is referred to in scripture as the day of the Lord. The coming day of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. I pray we'll be mindful, we'll be receptive to what you teach us. We won't just be hearers. We'll be doers. God, I pray again, if there's a a lost person, someone who doesn't have a relationship with you. They've never made you Lord of their life. Today, as difficult as it is to say and preach, but today may they see and realize your word is true and that they currently stand in danger of your judgment,
0: of your destruction, because the day of the Lord, your day, will take place. For us believers, may we be thankful, grateful, may we
1: have peace and assurance, may we make our calling and election sure so that we can stand confident knowing that that dreaded day is not to be dreaded by us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Lessons for the last days, <clears throat> this text is a preparation for... One of the next events, if you will. I know people get excited when you start talking eschatologically. But there is an era coming. There is a new age coming uh, on the earth that will, what some scholars refer to as the third world order. That just sounds like something that we ought to be intrigued by. Uh, Think that way if you read so that nobody gets a little off base or thinks I'm out in some... Um, different religion. When we think about world orders, we think in scripture, biblically about the first world order, the second world order, and the third world order to come. Now, I say that, and I know some of you old wrestling fans uh, remember the new world order. This has nothing to do with any of them (laughs) at all. But uh, when you think about the first world order, it would be pre-flood. Think about the second world order, you think post-flood. And then the third world order will be after this day of the Lord that Peter is preparing his readers for. Uh, In all all of those cases, the earth changed. What we see globally changed and will change. Uh, The earth is quite different than it was pre-flood. I've already already dove headfirst, into 10 foot deep water without a lifeguard. Because some of you are like, well, you're, you're assuming that there was a flood. Now certainly no good Christians in here would be thinking that. But somebody is, I can feel it. And I read minds, so I know somebody's thinking it. But for the, for the next few minutes, let's just assume that God's word is true and that all of the fossils that we have found are an indication of a sudden, impactful, universal flood that caused us to be able to do carbon dating, okay? Just like five of us, are, we're good, so we're gonna go on. What happened to the dinosaurs? Asteroid, now, we don't know, but it might have been the flood. It might have been the atmospheric changes what we do know, according to scripture, this hard for many people to believe, is that the world changed, the earth changed post-flood, because people used to live hundreds of years of age. And now, we don't. What well, happened? Most likely, and this is, not just, this is just for fun, most likely, the atmosphere changed. Because in creation, which is in the text, God created, not just in initial creation, but an orderly creation after initial creation, I'll, I'll cover that in a second, uh, a firmament to where basically we lived in a, an oxygen tank, where a lot of people today, a lot of professional athletes have their own at home, which they get in it and it heals their body quickly. It's not called an oxygen tank, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Hyperbaric chamber, thank you. And so um, I thought oxygen tank might go over better, but hyperbaric chamber. And um, they zip themselves up in it, and it heals their body rapidly so they can be fresh and they can be healthy. And it's almost as if God had created a hyperbaric chamber in creation, and people live to be hundreds, hundreds of years of age. Potentially, that's what happened to the dinosaurs. I don't know. Don't really care. They're cool, but I never was a dinosaur guy getting into them. But something changed after flood and people quit living long. Dinosaurs and other animals probably were extinct from that. So the earth did change. Maybe that's boring to you, but let me tell you this. The earth is gonna change again, according to Second Peter chapter three. And both of them, both of these changes, all of these world orders, if you will, are under the purview and sovereignty of God even before the foundation of the earth. And we see that in the scripture. In the first couple chapters, Peter is um, encouraging the church to to know the word of God, to be ready, all of chapter two, to be ready for false teachers, false preachers, false gospels. And now in chapter three, he kind of turns the page and this whole chapter he's warning of the day of the Lord, that it will happen. So what exactly is the day of the Lord? is really a question that ought to be answered. Um, If you look at the Webster, Merriam-Webster dictionary today in 2022, you look up Day of the Lord and you can't find it. But the original, uh, even in the Webster's dictionary, they referred to the Day of the Lord as a biblical, uh, eschatological definition. Here's what he says. Uh, By the way, I don't get all my sermons from Webster's, but this this goes along with it. Merriam-Webster says, Old Testament day of the Lord is an eschatological day of judgment bringing final deliverance or doom. New Testament day of the Lord, the triumphant day of Christ's return to earth in glory. Let's just say biblically, both of those are true. When when the day of the Lord happens, there's going to be for us saints a triumphant day of Christ's return. By the way, it's going to be triumphant for him either way. He's king and he's going to rule and reign. We're either going to be on his side or not on his side. But it's also a day of judgment. Literally, this day speaks of an era, speaks of a time frame. A lot's going to happen in a day. Matter of fact, if you follow along in the text, um, I'll stop there because I'll get off track, so I won't. It's an era of time. In the Old Testament, if you're an Old Testament scholar, you'll see often that day of the Lord is even mentioned or day of judgment is mentioned in the Old Testament, because Israel often was warned by God that the day of the Lord is ahead. They they weren't being told about the second coming of Jesus. They were talking about a day of judgment. Uh, Babylonian captivity, Isaiah warned through prophetic um, messages. Israel, you better repent. You better get back to God because the day of the Lord is at hand. The day of the Lord, the day of judgment is coming. In 2 Peter chapter 3, a couple verses ahead, In verse 10, he says, but the day of the Lord will come. You know this passage most likely. As a thief in the night. Now, I know there's some people that are just itching for me to get into a timeline. That's not what's going to happen today. All right? Um, So just get over that. And I know, if I'm just being honest, there's people in this room that have differing, differing opinions about when's gonna happen, what's gonna happen, and how it's gonna happen. This is a very elementary explanation and answer to those differences of opinions. Y'all ready for what I'm about to say? Let's say this section agrees together on A. This section, which is always right, agrees on B. This section C, and then the, the, um, the ones furthest from God in the balcony are D. <laughs> we all have opinions, somebody's wrong. And I'm all right with being wrong occasionally. Here's what I know. Here's what we ought to preach. This is what we ought to teach as parents. This is what we ought to teach as pastors. Be ready. Be ready. Make your calling and election sure, Peter said. It's not like you can say, well, I'm going to wait until here to this point in my life on the timeline of God to start believing. That's not how it works. Be ready today for you know not the day nor the hour. Jesus said, not even the son, but only the father knows. So we need to, as Peter said, make your calling and election sure. You realize if God came down and wrote in 2 Thessalonians 5, 48, that I will come on December 5th, 2026, that there would be people waiting, that date was just random, that people would be waiting until December 4th to get right with God. And it would be just as a phony decision then as it is some phony decisions people make now because they're scared of hell. But the day of the Lord is coming <clears throat> as a thief in the night. And the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. 2 Peter 3.10, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Paul Uh, Sorry, Peter in Acts chapter two, when he's preaching that Pentecost sermon, he refers to the day of the Lord. In Revelation chapter 16, we see a lot of occurrences pointing to the day of the Lord. Of course, in Revelation 16, you get to Armageddon. The people really perk up when you say Armageddon, and you think about what that's going to look like. I've been to the Valley of Armageddon. Some of us have been there, the Valley of Armageddon. And you see uh, visually what's going to take place. And it's almost as if God created that valley for the day of the Battle of Armageddon. And I think maybe he did. Where it's God's side against the ungodly. The day of judgment. The day of the Lord. When that happens, there will be no question who is king and who is sovereign, and who is in control. There will be no question who's on his side and who's not on his side. And just because I get kinda, I like to get that itch scratch as well, we need, Scripture teaches us in the New Testament Christians to be sober, to be vigilant, to be awake, to be watching. Don't say, I don't care what's going on in the world, I'm just gonna sit here and wait on Jesus. No, we're to know the signs of the times, and if you read, if you watch TV, if you have half a brainstem, you can't say that this world isn't changing and we're not headed for the day of the Lord. I didn't say it's going to happen tomorrow. But we've never lived in a time of volatility like we do now. We have been in volatile times in American history. But a lot of it was within America. The volatility was within America or then a couple partners. Today, we live in a time where we don't know what's going to happen when we wake up tomorrow. We don't know in a 24-hour news cycle what event going to happen overnight while we're asleep and wake up tomorrow and see that three countries have completely changed leaderships and alignment and all that. We're living in that day. We're living in a day when we're really afraid of China. We really like their products, but we're really afraid of them what they might do we're really worried about Russia and I'll stop there because you'll get more intrigued about that than the text but the day of the Lord is coming and it's at hand according to second Peter first of all I want us to look at I'm going to look at four points that's in the text straightforward this text is preparation if you will for the day of the Lord and first Peter wants to remind us of the scriptures Believer, beloved, he says in verse one, I'm writing to you to stir up your pure minds. He's talking to believers. Believers biblically have pure minds by way of remembrance. I'm going to shake you up. I'm going to stir you up to remember. Remember what? Remember the word of God. Believers need to often be reminded of the word of God. I like how he uses this pure minds, this pure minds that he refers to believers at. Doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means that your mind is uncontaminated. It's an uncontaminated mind. What does that mean? Some of you looking to yourself like, my mind is way contaminated. (laughs) What he's referring to is uncontaminated, based on the previous chapters, uncontaminated with false doctrines. That you're you have a pure mind. Yeah, we're still going to sin. Yeah, our minds think crazy things. But when it comes to God's word and God's will and God's way, we are uncontaminated by the views and opinions of the world. We have a pure understanding of Scripture, which means, I mean, we understand it all right, but we believe it and we're not going to let the world, we're not going to let some other writing, we're not going to let some other religion or some other talk show host or Twitter-er, Change our mind or contaminate us to make us think something, and much less, chapter two, a false teacher with a lot of followers convince us otherwise. He says, I'm writing to you, Christians, you believers who are are of a pure mind, and what I'm writing to you for is to remind you of the word of God. That you may, verse two, be mindful of the words which were spoken by the prophets and of the apostles. The word of God. Church, we need to be reminded often of the word of God. Not just in eschatological terms, but in everyday practical living. Our hope is built on Jesus Christ. The church is built on Jesus Christ. You can have peace that surpasses all human understanding. We don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Why, why are you saying those random verses? That's reminding people of the word of God. That's reminding Christians of the word of God. We, we remind each other often that God's ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are not our thoughts. We remind each other often that God's thoughts and God's mind and God's ability are higher than we could ever understand Psalm 139. We remind each other of that. We tell each other, hey, God's ways are perfect not because we read it in a Hallmark card, but because we read it in the scriptures. We remind each other that, the, that God loves you and God has a plan for your life. Why? Because it sounds great. No, because it's the word of God. We remind people that God loves you and his thoughts toward you are precious, valuable, that he loved you so much that he sent Jesus to pay the price for your sin. Why? Because he loves you. Because his grace is sufficient. Because his mercy is Inexplicable. We remind people of that. We remind Christians that all things work together for them who love God. We don't remind that to the world. We don't tell the world all things work together for your good. No, we tell Christians that because it's for believers. And he says, remind, I'm gonna remind you of the words which are spoken by the prophets and the apostles. Isaiah tells us to remember the former things of old. He told God's people, remember in Isaiah 46, the the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there's none like me. Church, we need to be reminded often that God is God and there's none like him. There's no other God worth serving, dedicating your life to, than the God of the Bible. The psalmist said in Psalm 105, remember his marvelous works that he has done.
0: That's that's reminding people of who God is. We are to remember the word of God. In the last days, we are to rely
1: on, trust, and live by the word of God. Things are changing. People are changing. Preachers are changing. Churches are changing. Religion is changing. Culture is changing. Society is changing. Politics is changing. But God's word remains the same. We live, live if we're just honest, we live in a day where we just want some stability. Do we not? We don't know what, I mean, God forbid you open up your financial portfolio today. Well, there's some stability, but it's all stabilizing south, right? What are you doing back there? It's stable. By the way, it's, everything's good. Just in case y'all were wondering, everything's good financially. Um, I heard the president say this week, we're all good. Everything's fine. <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. What you, what you think you're seeing, It's just a figment of your imagination. Everything's good. Everything's good. So don't worry about that. And um, vote. He reminds us of the scriptures. And then number two, he provides us this information, which is pretty poignant, if you will. We see the reality of scoffers. In these last days, before the Lord returns, before the day of the Lord, there shall be scoffers. Scoffers is a great word. Um, I don't know how often we use scoffers, um, but um, there are still scoffers around. And we call them different names, hopefully it's something Christian. But he says, knowing first, when we see the word first in scripture, we ought to really look because it's priority, it's paramount, uh, it's preeminent. So he says, knowing first, the day of the Lord's coming, but know this Christians, be reminded of the word and be On the lookout, be ready, because there's gonna be scoffers. What is a scoffer? It just sounds bad. Sounds like it puts a mark on your shoe. They're scoffers. The word scoffer, and it's important for us to understand, they shall come. And I think if we maybe think for a millisecond, we'll acknowledge and say amen to the fact that they're already here. So contextually, Peter is saying they're on their way, Today, it's just words, is really basically they're, they're here and they're here to stay. From this point on, they're going to be around. And they'll wax worse and worse, we saw earlier. And so the scoffers are here. The scoffer means uh, one who ridicules, one who scorns, which is pretty obvious. What we may not know is it comes from the same word where we get um, satire, a satirist, someone who practices satire. When I think satire, I think Babylon B., I hope you follow the Babylon Bee. It's fun. It's funny. Anybody follow the Babylon Bee? They're satirists, all right? So the word here is for the scoffers. They're satirists. They're people who, uh, they, they use reality, they use um, vices, humans' vices, and they use it to twist it with sarcasm and wit to expose or to discredit So a satirist to a Christian would be, you really believe in creation? And then they would twist it and they would make a a meme for social media about how Christians are idiots because they believe in creation. That's what a satirist is. That's what a scoffer is. It's not just somebody that runs their mouth. There's a lot of those people around. Point to one if you know one right now. Just don't know it's a lot of that, but it's a, it's, a, it's a person who intentionally scoffs at, criticizes your core beliefs or values and twists them to make you look like an idiot. To make you look uninformed. To make you seem as if you're uneducated. How in the world could a PhD believe in creation? How could someone with your education believe that God just spoke things into existence? I always like to be the satirist that says, how could you believe that matter and energy just existed without a creator and exploded into this beautiful world? Because I'm a satirist by nature. It's in my DNA. It's a curse. That's what they do. They scoff at what we believe. Now, listen. It's not that they scoff at something we made up. They scoff at what we believe that comes from the word of God. Don't get upset if somebody criticizes you for your goofy beliefs that are your own opinions. We're talking about people who scoff at us because we believe the word of God. Surely you don't believe in creation. Surely you don't believe in a universal flood. Surely you don't believe that Methuselah lived to be 900 plus years old. Surely you don't believe in the Tower of Babel. That's a pretty important deal. Surely you don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he was born sinless, an immaculate conception. Surely you don't believe in the Trinity, three in one. Surely you don't believe in a bodily resurrection of Jesus after he really died. Surely you don't believe that he ascended into heaven.
0: You see where I'm going with this? Surely you can't believe that there's only one way to heaven. There are people today, there are groups today, and unfortunately there are
1: false preachers and false teachers and false churches today who ridicule and scoff at those of us narrow-minded believers that happen to believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. And he told us it will happen. And it's happening in these last days. But contextually, we get to the point
0: where they say, surely you don't believe that Jesus is coming back. Do we not live in a day
1: to where it seems like the world scoffs at the potential of a reality
0: that Jesus is coming again? For if people believed it, we'd have quite a different culture, quite a different society. There will be scoffers. Among us, the
1: question would be, why would they do this? The answer is simple. They walk after their own lusts, their own
0: selfish desires. It's what it says in the text. They're all about, did you turn me off? They're all about their natural,
1: sinful condemned self they walk after their own lust is what it says and not just it's just obvious to me no one who walks after their own lust would want to believe that god is king that he is
0: sovereign and that he's coming back in his day with judgment Why would people live the way they live if judgment was really going to
1: happen? So we see the reality of them, and now we see in verse 4 the rationale for these scoffers, why they believe this way. And it's pretty simple. They say, where is the promise of his coming? For since our forefathers died, fell asleep, everything remains the same. Now we're we'll going and throw out verse Five, the beginning for they are willingly ignorant they willfully choose to ignore what's already happened certainly they won't believe what they haven't seen because they're choosing to ignore or believe what's already happened does everybody see that in verse 4 and 5 this is important to understand their reasoning because to us it makes no sense why would you say something like this And God, through Peter, says they they refuse to believe or ignore. They willingly ignore what's already happened. Listen to what they say. This is how we know how they think. Nothing's changed. All things, verse 4, continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Where's the promise of his coming? You said he was coming. He's still not here and nothing's changed. And Peter says, really? Nothing's changed? That's what I would say to us today. Yeah, yeah, we haven't seen him yet. But we can't say nothing's changed. We can't say nothing in our world has changed to indicate that we're headed in that direction. But this is what they were saying. Nothing's changed. They said specifically nothing had changed since creation. And so Peter says, well, let's talk about that. He confronts them and here's his argument. He argues with two examples of how the earth had changed and this is where it really gets good and gets really important because here's where I want to challenge Christians. Um, Study to show yourself approved unto God. Peter says later, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Uh, One of the, I just, I won't say it that way. Yes, be a man or woman of faith but be a man or woman of education as well. Read, study, research. All you need is faith. Right, I understand that. But I think of somebody like Ken Ham. The impact that Ken Ham has had on the world. An educated PhD who knows more and has forgotten more than most of us could collectively know together who argues and debates against people, scoffers. So the scoffers have educated people, why shouldn't we have educated people? And so know why you believe. Students, students, it's all right to go to college, but you gotta know what you believe. It's all right to get education, but you don't forget what they can't teach you. That's fact from the word of God, not from the word of a school, even if it's a Christian school. So educate yourself. Ask good questions. Think and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and be a defender of the faith. Not just a blind leader. Well, that's what my preacher said. And speak up for him. Nothing's changed. And Peter said, let's talk about that. And what he talks about is Not just creation, and this is where it's kind of fun, and now I'm running low on time. Peter's response was, okay, you said nothing has changed since creation. So let's talk about what's changed since creation. And I don't want to dig into this. I'll let Ken Ham do it. But um, creation is found in Genesis, right? And because some of you still don't know me well, I believe God created. I believe God created in literal days, It's not even in my handkerchief. I don't even know what that is. Are you running the sound now? He got so mad he left. And I still have to keep doing it.
0: Nobody else is moving either, so I guess we're good. All right. Um,
1: God created, and when you look in Genesis chapter 1, I believe God literally created, ex nihilo, Something out of nothing. He spoke it into existence, fiat. I believe that. At least that's what the word of God teaches. But in verse one, chapter one of verse six, listen, you don't have to turn there. God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. I don't want to, I don't want to mess you up, but it's as if creation in um, the earth was created from water. Not waters were divided. So there was an initial creation, and then God created heaven and earth together, and then God created land. He separated the waters, is what chapter 1, verse 6 says. And what he did was he separated, he divided the waters from the waters, verse 6. And God made the firmament, this um, sack above us full of water, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which are above the firmament, and it was so. And God God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, that's us, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called the seas. And God said that it was good. So God, after initial creation, separated waters from waters. Here we have land. Y'all with me? Waters above and waters below. It's what God did in chapter one of Genesis, during creation. So God, so Peter uses that as an example. Hey, something changed since creation. God created and then he changed. It's it's an organization that God created order. This is in creation. But these scoffers said, nothing's changed since creation. Peter gives a pretty easy example. Yeah, God changed from the very beginning. He created and then he created. Then he continued to create. Every day he created more and it changed. Then he says, what about the flood? And he ties the two together. And this is where he goes into the last point, which we'll end on shortly. In God's creation, he created a situation for judgment. That's what the text says. What was God's first judgment? To change the first world order a flood, and Peter says, hey, you scoffers, yeah, God changed, creation has changed, he divided the waters, he created land, he had an above and he had below, and then what about the flood, which changed everything in creation? But you said God hadn't changed anything, nothing had changed since creation. In verse seven, chapter 11, chapter seven, verse 11 of Genesis, in the 600 year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of the heavens were open. What God created in creation was preparation for his flood to change his creation. If you don't see anything in 2 Peter chapter 3, is God's in control. God has a plan. And even in his creation, he created the ability for a universal cataclysmic flood to destroy, to judge unbelievers. No, don't you let the cartoons and your pictures on your wall fool you. This was not a rain event. The flood was not a heavy downpour. The flood was a, not only a heavy downpour times a billion, the flood came from below and above. The fountains of the deep, which God had separated, came from below, and the firmament burst from above. So when people start to say, try to figure out, well, how did this happen? How did this happen? They're not thinking biblically. They're thinking of a heavy downpour. People start talking about the Grand Canyon and all these things. Well, how did just a heavy rain for 20 days or 150 days do this? It was more than just a heavy rain for 150 days. That's right. God in his creation made it possible. He's in control. He's sovereign. He countered them with creation and the flood. So we see the reality of scoffers. We see their rationale. And last in verse seven, we see the reservation for scoffers. I'm gonna make this real simple. The text is pretty clear. In the same way that God created for judgment on unbelievers. Our current creation exists with the potential and the promise of judgment for unbelievers. The heavens and earth, which are now by the same word, how was the word, how was the world created? By the word of God. God said, let. And it happened to speak into existence. Fiat. God spoke earth into existence. Well, evolution, the more I think about evolution, the more it makes sense. Well, you got to always go back to where the stuff came from. Well, there was a pond that got struck by lightning. Stop, where'd the pond come from? It's one of the classics. There was a water mass that got struck by lightning. Where'd the water come from? Where'd the lightning come from? In the same way that God, by his word, created the earth with the means of destruction by water. Verse seven says, he has continued to sustain creation today. The heavens and earth, which are now, that's us, are sustained by the word of God, Colossians chapter one. Everything consists through him, Christ. He is the incarnate word. Everything that's in place today is being held by Jesus
0: in consistency. Colossians 1.17. Lest I forget to say it. I
1: never read that verse and don't think he's got the whole world in his hands. He really does. It all consists through him. And Peter says... The heavens and earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved for, they're held, reserved for what? Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition, destruction of ungodly men. Church, if if you don't hear anything you hear, you understand in this text, God is sovereign, he is in control, and he has a plan. It may seem... Out of control. This world, not just America, may seem out of control. But he's at the wheel. And nothing has happened. And nothing will happen apart from his knowledge and his sovereignty. And what's happening right now, even though we can't see it, science has. What, what the word of God is saying just speaks kids, teenagers, Listen, God's word is true, God is creator, God is sustainer, and he has a plan. And what even science tells us now, scripture confirms. It ought to be the other way around. Science confirms what scripture has told us. What do you mean? Where are you going? Right now, this verse says, let me remind you, by the same word, the word of God, Things are being reserved, creation is reserved, the heavens and earth are reserved, they are stored up unto fire against the day of judgment. Judgment will come, and judgment will be by fire. First by water, next by fire. The third world order, when we look uh, chronologically, if you will, at the timeline of the world, the earth, you'll see a new world order after the day of the Lord. This day will end. This day of grace, this era of grace, this dispensation of grace will end. There will be judgment on the earth by fire. Right now, I've never been there, but scientists tell us that at the core of the earth is a boiling, this, scientists tell us this. The core of the earth is a boiling liquid, lava-like fire, at over 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, I didn't know I was coming for this.
0: Scientists tell us that. Above us are innumerable stars, planets, asteroids, and atomic matter. Both of them are separated by about 10 miles of crust of the earth that you and I live on. All of that confirmed by science. But God said, the day of the Lord is coming where the earth will be
1: judged by fire. The ungodly will be judged, condemned, punished by fire. And God has created earth and sustained it for future judgment the exact same way he did in original flood judgment. But yet there are scoffers today who say, where's he at? Said he's coming. Why do you believe this stuff? But we're sitting here on the potential. This is either out there or in there, or you don't know what you think. We are sitting on a planet that's ready for a cataclysmic atomic explosion like man has never created or seen. But yeah, we have scoffers denying that it could possibly happen. Right. In the same way they denied this flood for 120 years while this idiot preacher screamed, repent for the day of the Lord's coming. Get on the boat, God's gonna destroy. And for thousands of years, we've been preaching. We must continue preaching the word of God, that he is coming. The day of the Lord is at hand. And you better be ready. You better be prepared. That's why we do what we do. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we're unbothered by scoffers. If Noah can build a boat, with his three knucklehead sons for 120 years out of wood, we can do what we're doing and not be bothered by the scoffers. Church, it's a serious business. God's judgment is real.
0: God's judgment is true. The earth changed at a universal judgment flood.
1: And the earth will change one day when the day of the Lord takes place, which Peter talks about later after verse seven. And we're to prepare people for that. We're to teach people the truth of God's word. We're to teach our children. If you're here today, I wrote the word perspective in my notes because a Christian, a true believer uh, a pure-minded believer who trusts in this word, our perspective of the day of the Lord is different than a lost person. We ought to preach it. We ought to teach it. We ought to encourage people to make plans for it. But we have peace in our hearts as a believer that we're not affected by this judgment. I didn't talk about tribulation. I didn't talk about all that. We're, not, we're, we're, not, we're outside of those areas. I'm talking about the day of the Lord when he judges the ungodly. We have peace in our hearts, but if you're lost... It's a fearful, dreaded thought to know that we're headed for the day of the Lord. And you're headed for that destruction. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to know more about Central Baptist Church events
0: and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbccanapolis.com.